Welcome back to Inside Personal Growth. This is Greg Voison, the host of Inside Personal Growth. And I want to thank all of my listeners who have supported Inside Personal Growth for years and years and years, coming back to listen to the words of wisdom from our authors. And today, joining me from Pennsylvania is, I'm sorry, from Philadelphia, that is in Pennsylvania, Carissa Thacker. And Carissa is the founder and president of Strategic Performance Solutions. Good day to you, Carissa. How are you? I'm good. Good day to you out there, Greg. Uh, Well, thank you for being on the show. And she is going to be speaking with us today about her new book called The Art of Authenticity, Tools to Become an Authentic Leader and Your Best Self. It's a Wiley book. It's obviously available at Amazon and all your best booksellers, uh, available in Kindle version as well. We'll be putting links up uh, for my listeners to um, those websites as well to get it. Let me tell my listeners just a little bit about you, Carissa. As I said, she's the founder and president of Strategic Performance Solution. It's a management training and consulting firm dedicated to elevating people to reach their highest potential and career satisfaction. Uh, With over two decades, Carissa has done just that for countless individuals, working with nearly half of the Fortune 500 companies to drive performance and leadership growth. She specializes in executive coaching and development that balances on the job performance with the need for sustained personal fulfillment. She's quoted in New York Times, Wall Street Journal, Fast Company, Forbes, MSNBC, and many other outlets. And her book, The Art of Authenticity, and a guidebook on how to transform your career by tapping into your authentic self is what we're going to be talking about. Um, She brings a wealth of knowledge to us. So welcome to the show, Carissa. Now, you mentioned right off the bat in the preface of the book that my listeners would have laughed um, about you writing a book on authenticity of all things uh, if they'd asked you that three years ago or so. <laughs> what really what really changed for you regarding the value of learning about authenticity in the workplace? You know, I always had this sort of vague discomfort with the concept of of authenticity. And the reason I had this vague discomfort with it was I associated it with um, sort of this notion of being true to yourself and, and separating yourself and not being very successful. And as I got turned on to the concept, I went to a, a personal development workshop And I had the insight that the times in my life that were most meaningful to me were times that I had been authentic in the sense of I had been being true to myself, but also doing something that was deeply important to me and deeply important in a community that I was involved in, whether that was a business result or a nonprofit or a team that I was a part of. So I got obsessed with the question, which was, how can we be both authentic and create extraordinary results? So it became a journey of reframing the concept of authenticity 
and learning that this drive to be authentic, to be true to ourselves is an innate drive. I mean, you find references to the concept of authenticity in the work of the ancient Greek philosophers. Uh, we know that teenagers express discomfort when they feel like they're not being true to themselves and started on this journey of, gee, if those were the moments in my life that were the most meaningful as I am in the middle of the journey here, how do I get more of those moments? And so, so really started talking with my clients and some of my clients also had this vague discomfort with the word, but but if we look at the word as how to be our the best version of ourselves and how do we find meaning and fulfillment and work on projects that mean the world to us and be successful, it opened up a whole a whole new world for me, Greg, and um, I hope for the listeners as well as they think about, gee, what really matters in my life and in my work. Interesting. You know, Carissa, as we've progressed as a society more into the digital air and sharing ourselves all over, and, you know, you actually have watched what I've watched from a, a kind of a an unspiritual transformation is really the ego. And the ego is kind of the opposite of authenticity. And, you know, you mentioned your chapter on the digital air of freedom and fear that becoming more authentic may be a key to reaching your external dream, dreams and achieving internal well-being. What is it about people that are authentic? and their ability to find meaningful success in their lives, in your estimation? The, the era that we live in now is an era where anything that can be done by rote, uh, by, by brawn, by, you know, essentially, by, you know, just by doing the same thing, re repetition can be done by technology. And that, you know, there are still jobs where folks are able to do the same thing and have financial security. It does exist, but I think it's coming to an end. And so this idea of figuring out what's unique about you and this idea of looking at situations with an active, inventive Spirit about who you want to be and what you can contribute that brings your whole self into the workplace is not just a good thing to do for your development. It's always been a good thing to do for human development, but now it's relevant in that figuring out how to add value in a way that is unique is quickly becoming part of the success equation. Peter Drucker uh, the brilliant management theorist talked about how entrepreneurs are able to see change that has already happened and the vast majority of us are not entrepreneurial enough to see that change has happened, but entrepreneurs see, see it and they see, and they are able to capitalize on it. And this idea of authenticity that I talk about, which is being true to your whole self, your, you know, there's a part of you that wants to be successful, that's ambitious, that's driven. You know, there's a part of you that, that wants to hang out on the couch. But how do you bring all of that, your best self, and work on yourself so that you can contribute even more and, and be someone who has great ideas to bring to the party? 
it's competitive advantage uh, at, at this point in history. And I hear a lot of the back and forth about the millennials. And one of the great joys of of the book hitting the shelves has been that it's resonating with the millennial generation who are saying, Hey, this is, this is what I want. And you see all of these clashes in the workplace. And if you think about it from an evolutionary perspective, in many cases, the millennials may be a bit ahead of some of us who have been out here um, and the playground of the workplace a little bit longer. Uh, No, well, I think they've, I think they've watched many of their parents do what they didn't want to do. And it really is very simple that they've chosen different lives and to lead their lives in a different way. And I'm, I'm so impressed by them so much, uh, not only in the workforce, but just as young people trying to evolve the consciousness of this planet. So many of them working in good forces. Now you have um, at the end of these chapters things called workout, and at the end of the, this each chapter of the like the digital era of freedom and fear, you mentioned the six forces that have emerged in the workplace. What are those six, and why do you suggest people? What do you suggest that people do in the workout sessions sections of your book um, as a way to? start to integrate what they're learning from each chapter. Yeah, so so the idea is that we develop as people, you know, the not so much through talking and thinking as we do experimenting. So with the workouts at the end of each chapter, what I wanted to do is take the idea that I was talking about and give people an experiment that wasn't overwhelming uh, around how to bring that to life. And the one, if if people were only going to do one of those experiments, I, there's a, an experiment uh, in the chapter, uh, or a workout, I better get my terminology, be, be on tap with my terminology, uh, in the in the chapter on signature strengths uh, versus conformity, and the assignment is to go on a website www.viacharacter.org or put in a search engine the VIA character strengths. Take this questionnaire, and what you have when you when you get your results are what are what are called your signature strengths, and this notion of the fact that we all have signature character strengths that are not based in religion. These these 24 character strengths are prevalent throughout human history, and they have been scientifically validated. Things like perseverance, things like fairness, uh, things like love of learning, uh, things like appreciation of beauty and excellence. And part of figuring out who you really are is figuring out how to bring those strengths that are uniquely yours to life in the world in a way that is unique for you. So take a take a strength like fairness. How do you bring that to life in your workplace? Take a strength like love of learning. How do you bring that to life in the workplace? So I'm really glad you brought out the the workouts because that is where I think the book really comes to life in people's lives and it becomes not a book on the shelf, 
something that you're actively um, experimenting with. But what you referenced, um, I, I'm trying to think if I can think of all six, they were things like the smartphone, uh, the rise of right. social media, things that have really changed our culture for some of those who have been around, for some of us who've been around for a while. Who have the, been pay, the pace, the other one is the pace of change in the markets, the flattening of hierarchy, generational shifts and layoffs and downsizing. Yeah, and the pace of Those were them. Is, yeah, the pace of change I think is critical for uh, seasoned business leaders to think about. I heard the guys who uh, started Airbnb on the radio the other, NPR the other day, and and it was just a fascinating story because the the notion that launched this great company was these two guys had an empty room because the third room out roommate uh, left, and so they didn't want the empty space. But this idea that, you know, these transformative ideas are all around us all the time and we cannot have an idea and sit on our laurels uh, for long anymore. So so this whole this this world that we live in is changing so rapidly. You know, General Motors is now seeing themselves not as a as a car company, but a technology company. So I think this idea of, you know, continually reinventing yourself and continuing to grow and learn, having teams that are continually inventing, growing and learning, and all of that rolls into companies who are continuing to invent the future and uh, figure out ways to be successful and do things in the world that add value to people's lives. Well, I'm glad you mentioned that part, Carissa, about the signature contribution, because that was one of my questions. So you've really answered that about, you know, that being an authentic leader is not a spectator sport. So as she said, go to viacharacter.com, take that quiz and find out what those signature strengths are that you have. Um, You know, you state that authentic leaders only tell the truth, and there are no white lies. You cite that research that's been conducted on lying uh, in that chapter. What does this research reveal about liars and why do authentic leaders need, what do authentic leaders need to know about maintaining their truth telling, not only in the workplace, but throughout their lives? Yeah, that's a, that was one of the more um, interesting chapters to write. Um, so the research that you're referring to is that the vast majority of us tell one or two white lies every day, and those lies can take two forms. One is lies to protect ourselves, and then the other are other protecting lies. So your spouse, partner, husband, wife says, you know, do I look fat in this? You know, <laughs> um, that would be uh, a wise other protected lie to not say, yes, honey, you look fat. Usually in most situations, I want to apply that to all couples. Uh, but in any case, the, di- the distinction that I think is important with authentic leadership is that authentic leaders seek the truth. They seek the truth. And so truth seeking is an ongoing uh, adventure. So seeking the truth about yourself, the truth about other people, the truth about your business. And one of the things that's important is that, you know, I, I work with leaders every day and they say, 
you know, Carissa, I know things that are happening about the business and I can't tell everything I know to my people. And that's a struggle for me. Uh, but working in the real world, how do they continue to seek the truth as much as possible? And the notion that um, being an authentic leader is not about always telling the whole truth and nothing but the truth, uh, but it's about seeking the truth. One of the fun sections in the book is I call it killing the dead bug view of truth. The reality of our lives and many business situations is that the reality is more complicated than, gee, there's a bug, he was crawling, we killed him, the bug is just dead. Uh, and doing the right thing, sometimes we're, we're we, you know, we have a choice between a right and a right. Uh, imagine you're an officer in a company, you have seen confidential information that there's going to be a merger. It impacts people that you know. You have a legal responsibility to be quiet about that. I mean, these situations are not like the bug is either dead or alive. They're more complicated than that. So it requires all of us to, to be focused on seeking the truth, which is an active process, and uh, not necessarily uh, when your uh, spouse, partner, boyfriend, girlfriend says, do I look fat? It's not necessarily as simple as uh, blurting out, uh, yes, you look fat or no, you don't. I mean, it's it's more complicated than that. And I actually think some of the discussions we're having in the States on this notion of radical candor, which is just kind of saying everything that you think in a rapid fire motion is harmful uh, for people. Well, obviously, we see it in our, our campaigning that's going on right now. We have our uh, primary right here in California today. What a, an amazing show this has been for all of us here in the United States. Now, along that same line, you can't always correlate charisma to success in an organization. Um, and that there is not always a correlation between the two. So what does the research show and what should we as listeners know about charisma and success because obviously I've seen a lot of charismatic leaders in corporations come down the pike um, but obviously the research uh, indicates otherwise yeah so so you know we tend to associate as people when someone is charismatic and they excite us we tend to assume that they are authentic and many of us have had the experience by the time we get to a certain point in our career where we have followed a leader that was charismatic and we learned over time that they weren't authentic, that they uh, were not who they claimed to be and did not live up to expectations. And the research actually shows that, you know, authentic leaders, can be charismatic or not. You can have a great, highly effective, authentic leader who's low on charisma. Uh, some of Jim Collins' research uh, is actually actually leans in the direction that uh, charisma could be negatively cor correlated with with organizational performance. But again, that's not conclusive. But I think what's most important for the listeners is, gee, I'm excited by this person. 
you know, they have a lot of charisma, but take a pause because there's actually two types of charismatic leaders that have been identified in social science research. And the first type is greater me leaders, and the second type is greater good leaders. And they sound the same, but you have to be really careful and listen and notice how people interact around the greater good versus greater me leader. So the greater good um Leaders tend to talk about the team and its potential to overcome obstacles, a vision of the future, whereas a greater me leader tends to talk more about the opponent. We're going to crush the opponent. We're going to kill the opponent, uh, focusing a lot on the competition. And also the team dynamics, the teams of people surrounding greater good versus greater me leaders, they interact very differently. A greater good leader tends to have a team that is more focused on principles and ideas. And a greater me leader, who, who again, both of these folks are saying the same thing, tend to be really focused and use the name of the leader much more so than the principal uh, or the idea. So it's just a brilliant piece of research where the social scientists actually took the lens off of the excitement and focused on the dynamics of the people surrounding these leaders, and they came up with two distinctions that I think are very important because it can be confusing when you're figuring uh-huh. out your career and, and learning who, who you want to follow and there are consequences for following leaders who are not looking out for you and who are not looking out for the vision of the team or the greater good. Uh, that can be. Well, I think it's, it's a, it's about fine tuning your intuition and you really have to kind of listen to that voice within you. You do have a separate voice in there that speaks to you spiritually um, that tells you a direction to go, but actually finding that voice sometimes becomes quite difficult um, and challenging because you're being drowned out by much of what the world is trying to tell you to do and also much of what your ego is pushing you to do. Um, you know, you have this chapter on self-awareness versus selves-awareness, and you discuss how people can be chameleons and change behavior in different situations. What was the finding from the psychologist Mark Schneider in this chapter on something called self-monitoring that you can tell my listeners uh, about really self-awareness versus self-awareness. Yeah, so so self-monitoring is an interesting concept in psychology, and that's another one where there's a workout. And if you put in Google, uh, you can take the self-monitoring exam and sort of see where you fall on the continuum of being a high self-monitorer or a low self-monitor. Now, a high self-monitor is a person who thinks about how things are going to be perceived before they speak. A low self-monitor is more in tune with how they're feeling and less in tune with how something would be perceived by the group around them. And And people often... Uh, will will think of this and they'll go, well, doesn't that mean that someone who is high on self-monitoring, they're inauthentic? We don't, we, we can't go that far because remember that the capacity and the tendency to self-monitor monitor is an authentic part of that person, right? They're wired that way. This is a real difference in wiring like introversion and extroversion that has held up in research. 
uh, and it's it's an interesting tool and it's useful with uh, teams, but it's also useful with relationships because I have found just <laughs> just in casual conversations that I myself fall in this category. I'm a high self monitor who is married to a low self monitor, and I find that's often the case. And we'll often have a conversation, and um, and my spouse will say. I can't believe you didn't say that. And I'll be like, I can't believe you did say that. <laughs> so so uh-huh. monitoring is an interesting concept and remembering that it's not as clear cut as all oh, this person who's low on self-monitoring and lower on understanding how things might be perceived by the group and reading the group dynamics and adjusting themselves accordingly. They're not necessarily less authentic. They're wired to do that. Uh, just like being an extrovert or an introvert. Mm-hmm. Now you have this, uh, what you refer to as relational transparency. And what I'd like you to tell our listeners is how does this play into having honest conversations and becoming a more authentic leader, both in the workplace, uh, whether or not we're a housewife, uh, doesn't really matter. But the reality is being authentic does require this relational transparency. You have to being there is no escaping from building the virtue of courage if you want to be a more authentic if you want to live a more authentic life and be a more authentic leader. For some of us, uh, one of the distinctions I make in the book is that some of us are cautious souls and some of us are open books. So I work with people every day who will say, gee, you know, I, I, I said too much in that meeting, the more open book folks. And then I work with other people who are consciously working to open up and be more transparent. Uh, mm-hmm. it, can, it can be a courageous effort for many of us. And there's also people who will be transparent about how they perceive things at one level, but then there's a deeper level of their feelings and emotions that they um, are more careful with. And the reality of the world now is that there's a call for more transparency, I think, in leadership in particular, because there is this flattening of hierarchy, the relationships that you're able to build with people uh, give you your authority and your ability to have impact on people more so than your role. So finding ways to be transparent and honest about what you're feeling and thinking uh, is a critical part of, of being a leader. And it's not necessarily about, you know, telling some horrible secret so much as it can be about using three words that are really tricky for leaders. It can be, I don't know the answer. You guys figure it out. Um, I work. Well, I think you, I think you mentioned it, uh, Carissa, and that is that, and pardon me for interrupting, but it's really about in the work environment, you've got to have the courage. And I think it is, you said it, really well. It's the courage to step up and be able to have that dialogue with somebody, um, knowing there could be some repercussions, but knowing that you're an authentic leader and you have to be true to yourself to be able to do that. Now, in this chapter, um, this would be the, the last of my questions, but an obviously an opportunity for you to kind of wrap up with my listeners um, you have this chapter on the centrality of conscious choice, and you mentioned 
that we are in the master class, and for those who are out there, that's a musical term that's used. You state that authenticity is not simply about being yourself, but a process of self-invention, creation, and ongoing self-shaping based on interactions with all kinds of situations. What are the two or three main points you'd like to leave our listeners with with regarding to the, the development of their conscious choices? The, the notion of authenticity has his, historically been portrayed as, okay, I am what I am. True, you know, you're either a low self-monitor or a high self-monitor. Or you're either an extrovert or an introvert. But I want to throw an and in there. I am what I am and I am what I choose. And choice is so important because this idea of that we started out with, which is, seeking meaning, seeking fulfillment, seeking a full life, this drive to be authentic won't go away. Uh, this drive to be true to yourself, this drive to figure out who you are and find a way of being that in the world is a part of who we are as people. It's what separates us from a lot of the other you know, animals in the kingdom. And so it's, it's what makes us human. And this idea of actively working at that and actively creating your life, it's a wonderful opportunity to have in front of us in the 21st century. So my message would be dig in, uh, dig, dig, dig deep inside, notice what's going on around you and embrace the opportunity to figure out who you are and to be it. Uh, in fifth gear, to, to live boldly, to live out loud uh, with an understanding and doing things that are deeply, deeply meaningful to you. But that part, and this is where the conversations with millennials have been so rich, is also about understanding situations, understanding organizations, understanding context. It's a rich party. And this idea of living and working authentically, which brings us as individuals to life, it can bring organizations to life, it can bring families to life, it can bring teams to life. Uh, there is not a better use of your time that I can think of. Well, Carissa, you have really imparted some great wisdom upon my listeners, and I'm sure that they're right now having a lot of questions about authenticity. And so I'm going to recommend for them to uh, get this book at their best bookseller, wherever they'd like to go. Obviously at Amazon, you can download a, a Kindle version. You can get the hard cover, cover uh, copy of the book. You also can go to Carissa Thacker's website and that's Carissa, K-A-R-I-S-S-A-T-H-A-C-K-E-R.com. That is the website. Uh, learn more about the art of authenticity, the tools to become an authentic leader and your best self. Um, is there also a workbook that goes with this or am I uh, kind of uh, not on the right path there? Am I misunderstanding? <laughs> you, you must be prognosticating the future. Uh, one, of the, <laughs> one of the things that is in the pipeline is that the workouts have been so well received that uh, we are in the process of uh, putting together a workbook just to bring these concepts to life. Uh, so, so I think you're just brilliant, Greg. That's it. You're just brilliant. <laughs> 
I guess I'm reading your I guess I'm reading your mind. Well, but it's been a pleasure having you on Inside Personal Growth and spending a little bit of time with our listeners, uh, Carissa, today to explain your book. Um, they will go to your website. We'll put a link there. We'll put a link to our Facebook page as well and to places on YouTube where you could possibly watch a couple of videos of Carissa speaking about the art of authenticity. Carissa, thanks so much for being on Inside Personal Growth and spending a few minutes with my listeners. It's been my pleasure.